0: Welcome to episode 149 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming at you from Austin, Texas for this intro. I'm going to keep it pretty brief this time. We've got plenty of current events to talk about with the World Championships on tap, but I'm going to do that in a separate episode. The World Championships start this coming Friday, the 27th of September, and will end on Sunday, October 6th. And I'll be breaking all of that down with predictions and a separate special edition episode that will come out before Friday. I'll be doing that with my running preview (laughs) (laughs) typical guest, Jojo Gretchel, who will be back on to to potentially win again in our prediction contest, although I'm going to try to get my title back from her after she beat me in the prediction contest at USA's. So that'll be coming out either on Wednesday or Thursday of this week, so stay tuned for that. As it relates to my main episode this week, I'm bringing on recent frequent guest and back by popular demand, road coach James Dodds, who will be joining me for this episode. He was most recently on episode 141, where he helped interview me on my adventures and my race in Europe, and then also he was on episodes 132, 136, and 139, where we talked about why people miss their goals in 132 and 136, and then choosing a coach in 139. James is always a fun guest and fun foil for me in these discussions, and this interview or this episode proved no differently. We brought back something that we did a long time ago in in a much earlier episode of Running Rogue where we're bringing back the running true-false episode. And this time, James and I go back and forth with different statements not from all over the place, not just from training, but also from the mental side of the sport to goal setting to shoes. And we basically alternate throwing out a statement and then declare true or false from each of our perspectives and then debate that topic. And I think the, the statements that we're going to cover today are topical and relevant and cover a lot of different areas in running, so I think you'll find it fun and interesting. would also be curious to get your perspective and thoughts if you happen to disagree with us. And because we didn't get through all of, all of our true-false statements with this one, James will be coming back on for a second part to this episode at a later date as we get through the rest of our statements. But this is a fun one. James always challenges me and always brings a fun and interesting perspective himself. So without further ado, let's bring James Dodds on the show. Welcome, James Dodds, back to the show. How are we doing today, James? Doing good, thanks. Glad to be back. Always good to have you. Today, we're going to reprise a previous episode that we did with you. This has now been long ago, where we go through some running true and false so we're both gonna throw out some statements that might relate to training, to the mental side of running, and then and then go through what we each think, whether that's a true statement or a false statement. And neither of us have shared our statements with each other, so we're gonna be reacting to this in real time, which always makes it more interesting. And I'm gonna start, and then you'll throw one to me, and we'll go back and forth like that. So this first one I've got on my list curious to see how you will respond to this one. True or false? A 5-hour marathoner has to train differently than a 3-hour marathoner.
1: I'm going to go with true, but okay. I I mean I okay. could spin the I could spin the answer probably either <laughs> direction. Give back, um, back up true. All right, so I'm going to say true because the very first thing that came to mind is that um, when you think about training, like when I think about um, load or when I did the uh, Gray Institute's like training for physical therapy, uh, one of their, quote, observational essentials was time So, or duration is what they used. And so that's like if you're in the weight room, if you're out running, whatever it may be, it's like ways by which to um, increase overall load, you could increase the time at which you do something. So when I say it like generically or I would say that that's a sterile way of saying it, but a a physical therapist is going to look at like any activity through the lens or not just any activity, but one one lens they can put on uh, your training load is like total time and. In a sense, the reason why I'm going this direction and why I could spin it another way is the methodology and principles for training a five hour marathoner might all be the same. When you come to the table, it's like, oh, I want to put them um, out there for X amount of miles. But if let's say the peak week for your three hour marathoner and your five hour marathoner are it's a 20 mile long run and you've got two by two miles at marathon goal pace. Well. One of them's out there for almost twice as long as the other. So when it comes to the principle, are you training the same? Yeah, so you could say true. I mean, false. Um, but at the end of the day, that five-hour marathoner is actually taking on a pretty extreme load. Like they're asking their joints, their ligaments, um, all their soft tissue to hold up to almost four hours of training in that peak week. Whereas your three-hour marathoners in and out and done um, in like two hours time. And I run about two hours every, because I'm a little bit slower runner. Um, I run about two hours almost any given weekend, like a a down, a down week of 10 miles is still going to take me over 90 minutes, just over 90 minutes, like maybe 95 minutes. So, um, again, principles you train them the same but um the load at which they're like carrying on their bodies is just going to be much more significant so on those lines then
0: before i give my answer <laughs> if you have a five-hour marathoner and all, you know all of our schedules at rogue are mileage based where we'll say go do 20 miles And obviously time on your feet wise, that's going to be very different depending on the race time you're targeting. So do you adjust
1: that? It's something I've always been torn on. It's something I've observed and I'll chew on. Um, And it's more of when I get into individual programs that I might adjust it. Um, And I definitely do um, recovery days as time based all like any anything outside the quality in the long run, I turn them into time based. So easy thirty minutes. That way my two hour guy, uh I mean your three hour guy, um, let's say their easy day is like seven to eight minute miles. If they have thirty minutes um at an eight minute mile, they're getting closer to four miles. Um whereas my thirty minute person who I mean my uh five hour person who's gonna go out for um you know, 30 minutes, they're only going to get like two and a half miles in. And so it's a way to balance it. And so again, I I guess back to principles, maybe in some ways I'm saying you're training them the same because you're flipping it to time. Um, but you're at least considering the differences in the two. It is a different lens. And I do think for
0: that five hour marathon, you do have to consider total time in your feet. And sometimes in our longer ones, we represent that in, as a concept of this mileage or max this time because you don't want somebody out there for six hours doing a a training run. But still for me, the overarching concept here is that this is a false statement because yes, no matter what pace you're running, no matter what time you're targeting, the training can be the same. And I think most of our generic programming out there would tell you that it's different, that that five-hour marathoner can't have access to the same training, can't have access to the same workouts, can't think about their goals the same way as that three-hour marathoner, and I think that's just bullshit. And really, the founding principle, one of the founding principles of Rogue is that anybody can access those same principles. And yes, the paces may be different, the volume may be different, everything needs to be individualized for that person's starting point but the fundamental principles the idea that volume is important in building that aerobic engine the idea that you have to recover from the hard work that you have to balance the hard days with the easy days and then the the workouts within that can all look the same and yes you may couch them a little bit differently in how it actually plays out from a logistical standpoint or whether you're looking at time versus mileage, but but it's still the same. I remember when even you know even in Team Rogue, the group I trained with at Rogue, we had Brian Morton who was training to run a two twenty five, and sometimes we would get time based workouts actually fartleks for our workouts on Saturdays, and it would go the other way for him, where because he's going so damn fast if if things were time based then he actually would end up going going too far the distance would actually be too long and so on the other end of the spectrum you know time can become a problem and maybe you got to actually think more about having mileage limits and in that case he would get adjustments so that he didn't end up being out there too long on some of these long run workouts so yeah there're considerations on all ends of the spectrum for where you are, what your starting point is, managing the logistics of it, making sure you're protecting yourself in the extreme situations. But the training principles are the same. And I think that's one thing that most people don't believe. And I will say, especially those And this is not a judgmental term. Those mid to back of the Packers, you know, I think they're proud of being there and they should be, but I think most people in that world don't think of themselves in the same way and they should because the training principles are the same. They can approach it with the same rigor. Their goals are as worthy as that quote unquote, faster runners. And to me, that's the magic of what we do at Rogue. Yep. So I don't think we're necessarily in disagreement on that.
1: No, once we get to explain ourselves, yeah, we're on the same page.
0: (laughs) But I did think you would say true on that statement. So that is part of the reason why I put it out there.
1: I think there's a side of me that always wants to be ironic and then tell the long story of why I came to my point. So, (laughs) again, you know, I kept couching it under the terms of in principle, they're the same. But, yeah.
0: Yes. But I will say this, too. I get a lot of listeners who email me and they'll say,
1: yeah, I hear you,
0: you know, that we can do the same things. You know, I'm a whatever, 530 marathoner. I hear you. I could do workouts like, but really? I don't, you know, and a lot of people don't own that. And I think when you're by yourself training, maybe you don't have a group that's operated that way. You don't have access to a coach who thinks that way. Then it is hard to get yourself there for real you know even if you can intellectually and logically get yourself to that place it's hard to really own that in practice and that honestly runs up and down the spectrum because I guarantee you everybody has insecurities regardless of how of where they fall in that spectrum of marathon time so everybody struggles with this at some level or another thinking oh they're different you know and For me as a 245 marathoner, it's that 215 marathoner that I'm looking to. It's like, oh, they're different. I can't do that. And so I get it. But I really want to encourage people to own it and try it and be unafraid to see what that, see what that does for you if you're willing to try. And you don't have, it doesn't mean you have to do anything crazy. You could simply start by saying, look, I am worthy of a big goal. And that goal, whatever it mean, might mean for you, just picking it, just choosing something, and saying, "Look, I, I'm worthy." Start there, and then figure out, okay, what does that mean if I'm gonna go get that goal, and 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 do it in little chunks. Start building your volume in small ways, incorporating harder workouts in small ways, and you will surprise yourself in a pleasant way. And then before you know it, it'll all be normalized,
1: <laughs> and then you'll be smashing those goals and thinking about bigger ones. Yeah, definitely. And I and I, I love like sort of the, I guess the psychological uh, backing for, for making that statement too. Um, I'll often look when I look at the leaderboard um, in Strava, I'll, I'll look at time uh, just as often as I'll look at mileage because I know there's just certain people I'm never going to catch um, in the number of miles I run per week. But when I see like, oh, yeah, I'm running seven and a half hours a week or eight hours this week, i um, kind of staying in that window. I'm like, <laughs> I'm putting in some work. You know, that's an extra yeah. work day added to <laughs> my five business days. Heck, yeah. All right. Your turn. All right. First so um, my first one, and it's mainly because I just I'm like, how do I put this in true false terminology just so I can have the conversation I want to have? Um, and yep. that's running marathons makes you healthier whoo <laughs> that's a good one i like that that's provocative
0: because you know there's a lot of science quote-unquote science out there and you'll read new york times articles probably once every six months that tell you that that aerobic fitness is good but if you push it too far then you can actually hurt yourself and i'm gonna say that's false it can not you said harm you right so
1: no it makes you healthier oh it
0: makes you healthier sorry i'm going to say it's true it does make you healthier and i will say that unequivocally and i don't care what the science says <laughs> because even if you know and and the science would point to potentially some em- inflammatory markers some some issues with free radicals that might build up from extreme training that people say could could then lead to early death for whatever reason and that stuff is theoretically measurable but you know you also have by the way have studies that show that that's kind of bullshit too and that there's you know no real harm so you'll see both sides of that on the science part of the equation but I think the part that you can't really necessarily measure and I've never seen a study about it is what it does for your psyche and what it does for you as a human if you're pushing yourself towards bigger goals. And of course, by the way, doing it the right way, balancing recovery with the right amount of stresses in the training. And it's going to make you healthier as a human, mentally. It's going to de-stress you. It's going to help you sleep better. It's going to allow you to push yourself in ways that then allows you to push yourself in other parts of your life that will make you have a more fulfilling life and so yeah I absolutely believe it's true running marathons make you healthier but I will say this too though that it's not for everybody and I don't think that just because that's just because I believe that statement is true and can be true for people that it has to be true for everybody because I do think that there are those people that just don't like moving their body in that way or maybe don't find that they're pushed by goals in that realm. And if that's the case for you, then yeah, it's probably going to be unhealthy (laughs) in a sense because you don't want to do it. It's not fun. It's not actually giving you those peripheral benefits that I talked about. And while I think I can show people potentially how to make it, a pursuit that they can find fulfillment from i also know that it's not for everybody and and for those that it's not for it probably makes them it would probably make them unhealthier just because it would become a burden yeah. so that's my my first answer and i'll let you respond
1: all right so you said true and uh i came to the table again maybe just trying to be ironic but i came to the table with this one wanting to say false <laughs> And that's mainly cause I love having this conversation cause it's something I've identified in myself, but I also like just talking about it with friends and other runners. But, um, uh, so beyond what's happening in like, you know, when, if you check your vitals after race day and seeing them all be crazy, like beyond all that, um, you know, I've realized when I look into motivation, um, I don't come to the table. I, I come to running generally. And I think a lot of people do, uh, in the name of health. Um, but my mom sometimes will will be like, I can't believe you run all those miles and then drink all those beers. And I'm like, mom, you're missing it. You think, (laughs) you think my motivation is to be my healthiest self when I run marathons? No, if I wanted to be my healthiest self, I'd probably run four times an hour, four different days a week at about an hour, mix in a couple weight room sessions and a couple yoga sessions. And that to me would probably be represent like what the most healthy active lifestyle could be and i'm making that up off the cuff but like kind of mixing in some of these other uh ways by which to exercise and then getting out and racing or just kind of finishing a local 10k and potentially a few half marathons that to me would satisfy the health motive but i love running marathons and i think a lot of people will fall into this bucket too i'm saying i because i don't believe i'm alone We go to that next level or that next distance to the marathon distance because we like doing epic shit. Like we like it's the adventure and the excitement and sort of the accomplishment motive and driver or gene down in us that draws us to the marathon distance itself. And then, yes, um, there's a lot of correlation between healthy people running marathons and then like the psychological benefits that you mentioned that, you know, um, can like carry over, etc., Um, but again, I think if I was going to try to like map out for a person, like healthiest form of existence, marathons may or may not show up on that list. I just freaking love that goal and love that distance. And I wish psychologically I could get rid of 26, two as being some meaningful, magical number, but because it grabbed me at the right time and my psyche as a kid and then when I was an adult and decided to take up the sport now I'm just addicted to it and I freaking <laughs> got to run as many as I can <laughs> it's interesting I like that counterpoint
0: because it does frame it uh, this pursuit outside of the context of health because I do certainly believe that if, if this is what you're doing if marathoning is your chosen pursuit to to push yourself, to test your limits, to find the better version of yourself. You're right. There's probably other things you could do to actually be a healthier human. But I do still think it results in healthy outcomes. Yeah. (laughs) Because of all the things I talked about before. Now, I will say, though, that there is, I do think, at least something that I've been reflecting on recently, turning 40 years old. You know, you were on uh, the episode where I was reflecting on my my trip to Europe. And in that, I briefly talked a little bit about turning 40 and kind of facing my own mortality for the first time and not really knowing what that means. And it means a lot of things that I've processed since then. But one of the things that I've been reflecting on and it actually came from a conversation I had with one of my athletes and she just said, and she's a l- she's older, probably, I don't know exact age, but in her fifties, let's say a little bit older than me and, you know, amazingly fit and healthy and strong. And, But she came to me and she said, look, but she struggled with some injuries recently. And she said, look, I just, I've gotten to a point now with running where yes, I still have big goals, but I also want to make sure that I can be running still in 30 years. And what do I need to do to have the balance I need with this sport so that I can do that and, and hopefully get some goals along the way, but I also have a bigger goal now, which is longevity. And so, anyway, that's also caused me to think about that in my own life. It's like you know, if she's thinking about it at fifty and running till she's eighty, then I should be thinking about that too. And yeah, I still believe I can be faster as a marathon or at at maybe you know any distance. I think I could still PR. But but now I'm also thinking about it in the context of okay longevity and how as now I'm as in the as a masters runner how can I extend this pursuit as long as possible, which has created a framework for balance in my training that I haven't had before that might be sacrificing a little bit of the short-term gains for a long-term concept of, of staying in this for as long as I can. And I believe that the two things are compatible in that I can have balance that creates longevity while also still Wanting big goals and faster times and and that's one thing I would encourage for people of any age is to just think about it longer term. It's oftentimes easy to get wrapped up in that that five month pursuit towards one goal, which causes you maybe to take some risk shortcuts, do things that might push you to that edge and beyond in ways that might actually be detrimental long term so pull back a little bit, be patient and That way you can be doing this for as long as you want to. Yeah. All right. So let's go to number two from me. This is switching gears entirely. I like that one, by the way. You knew what I was going to say there. (laughs) And you knew you were going to be able to come in on the other (laughs) side. And so I appreciate that about you because I basically did the same thing with my first one. (laughs) All right. My second one's a little more practical and, and switches gears entirely. But it's something that comes up a lot in conversation with athletes a lot in, in emails that I get true or false shoes cause injury running shoes cause injury or can cause injury
1: oh, I'm so split on this one <laughs> Um I'm gonna have to lean but this is gonna be like a um, uh, 51 49 <laughs> okay Um, or even 50.5 but I'm gonna go ahead and say false because um, I think so much about shoes like there's so much built up around them because there's that whole industry and we've talked about the industrial complex in the past but um, you know uh, there's so much built up around it around shoes being the very thing that can guard and protect you, that that almost plants inside the mind a framework um, that then starts, well, okay, well then uh, maybe I'm unhealthy or like this shoe, if this one shoe could have helped me, then potentially this is the shoe that hurt me. Um, But I think that there's uh, a lot of the injuries uh, that people experience are overuse injuries. Um, they're probably pushing too hard and then they're not changing up surface enough. And so, you know, I think we've discussed a, a, a layer of this before, but, you know, if you're changing up surface, then all of a sudden whatever's inside the shoe, like if you're on a trail run and a technical trail, then all of a sudden the shoe no longer has that guaranteed, like landing placement according to a flat ground and your foot type um but then the reverse like part of me almost wants to correct myself is i i I think there are shoes in the past where it was like i had too firm and too too firm of a hill and too big of a a hill to toe um drop gosh i've been out of the game too long i haven't sold shoes in so long but when the heel, to t- the heel to toe drop is extremely significant and had an incredibly firm heel, I'm not going to name the shoe because I did love it for a while, um, and then um, an incredibly flexible forefoot, you know, I I just couldn't help but like start to feel plantar fasciitis in that shoe, um, and so by switching out of it, um, you know, I was able to find more comfort and run more miles. But at the same time, I was training big mileage during that time. And I don't do a lot in the way of recovery. So I'll never blame fully the shoe. Um, I think shoes can make differences and slight differences. Um, but, but they're never like the make or break piece. I agree with that. And I would be more, more definitive
0: with my, my statement that it's false. Shoes don't cause injury in my opinion. Imbalance causes injury, weakness causes injury, mismanaged training causes injury, going too fast on your easy days, not taking proper recovery, those things cause injury. Skipping recovery days, those things cause injury. And shoes, in subtle ways, might contribute to pushing you over the edge, but I don't think they're normally the cause and that's a black and white statement and and as you said there are probably cases on the extreme where especially if somebody has a true foot and biomechanical issue that might be need but that might need correction by something like an orthotic or something like that there are cases where getting somebody in the right sh- in the wrong shoe can be dangerous but what's the cause of the injury in that case? Is it the shoe or is the fact that the foot has an issue that needs to be addressed in a certain way? Uh, So anyway, so shoes don't cause injury. And so, but a lot of people want to attribute injury to shoes because it's the easy thing to do. It's the external factor. It's the thing you can point to that then takes accountability off yourself. And, you know, we both, have been in that game. And you worked on our shoe floor for a long time. You know, I owned a running store for a long time that we sold in 2017. But what we found through that process is that most of the time, if a shoe change happened that might cause somebody to think that the shoe caused injury, it was often correlated with a training issue that I just mentioned that probably is the real culprit. So, people. Stop blaming your footwear, look in the mirror, figure out what needs to change about how you train, how you strength train, how you fix the weaknesses and imbalances that you have, because that is gonna be better invested time than blaming your footwear. Now, I will say that I do think in some cases, footwear can be helpful, adjustments to footwear can be helpful when coming back from injury. You know, just as one example, in my opinion, plantar fasciitis, when you have plantar fasciitis, that can be exacerbated or have have issues you know finding treatment or getting healing if you're in a shoe that's too soft so then the foot has to overwork to basically pull itself out of that softer foam which doesn't mean the shoe is causing the problem it just means the shoe's not helping you fix it and so getting into a firmer shoe in those cases typically allows then the footwear or sorry the foot to relax a little bit more in the shoe so that whatever you're doing to fix that core issue causing the plantar fasciitis will you know, work. So again, some cases, subtle things, and I do believe that shoes can lead to better performance in a sense that having the right shoe that fits you naturally, that disappears when you put on, that makes you feel fast and smooth and in control while you're running, I do firmly believe that getting the right shoe is still important. For training, because it's just like putting on your armor. You know, you've got that singlet that you like that makes you feel fast. You've got those socks that just hug your foot the right way that don't cause blisters. You've got the shoes that is a part of that equation. That's your uniform that makes you feel like your a game is there. And so it doesn't mean shoes aren't important. It just means they're probably not causing your pain.
1: Yeah, agreed. Um, and and there's even a strategy when you you started with like mismanaged training, et cetera. Um, you had mentioned like mistra- mismanaged training etc um, I mean I learned through the shoe floor like if you can rotate shoes um, you know I understand for some people they maybe can only buy one pair work with them and drag it out as long as they can but having rotated through so many shoes through the lifetime of my running and allowing my foot to land in a different way each time um, it's gotten me to a point where I I like I've done some wear testing for Nike this this year, and the pair of shoes they sh- they shipped me and needed quick feedback on. They got to my place on a Friday, and I had 18 miles the next day. So the I just put them on and ran 18 miles in them, knowing nothing about the shoe, and I actually felt somewhat awkward in them that morning when I put them on. So even having little signals in my brain like whoa this doesn't feel right, this is interesting, but I need to give some feedback. I ran 18 miles and I was fine. There was no there was no in like grand injury from it and I've rotated through like probably six different shoes since that. Yep. Um so yeah, in complete agreement. All right. Number two for you. What do you got? All right. So um again I, I'm so I don't know why I'm so worried about how things are perceived this time around, but I want to take mm-hmm. on another one that I love talking about. Focusing on running form improves your health and performance. <laughs> Focusing on running form improves
0: your health and performance. I feel like I want to ask a clarifying question, but I won't. We'll get to that, I'm sure, with the discussion. Mm -hmm. So I would say false in that I don't believe you can really focus on running form. At least not in the sense that you can think about it and change it. You know, I think you have to, as a part of your normal training, the pieces you put together for your normal training, add all of the elements that you need to ultimately be your most efficient runner. And by the way, a lot of those activities will also make you faster, will also make you fitter, will also make you ready to handle the loads that you're taking on. But I don't think you can think about or focus on form I think you have to just incorporate it into or incorporate activities into your training so that eventually you become more efficient without really having to focus on it. So what does that look like? For me, it looks like increasing your volume. We know that the more you run, the more your body finds its most efficient form without you having to think about it. It helps program the subconscious things that happen that... That program and affect your movement, so that you don't, so that you're more efficient over time. So more running, again from whatever your starting point, helps you be more efficient, better have a runner with better form. Drills, done regularly. You know, Wednesday morning, my group every single week, we do drills. They they serve two purposes. One, is they're a dynamic warm up tool, so that people are ready to do their workout, but two. They're a form development tool. They break down the running form in small movements. And then by repeating those movements week after week, doing those drills, people will in subtle ways without even thinking about it, become more efficient runners and improve their form. Strength work, mobility work, the supplemental things you do outside of running to help be stronger and more mobile and more strong or, and and more strong in the core those things help improve form and posture while you run strides is another thing doing those regularly every week to me strides are something that like drills that should be done every single week no matter what whether you just ran your last you know your your last marathon or whether you're preparing for your next one or whether you're just doing four easy runs maintaining during a week get those strides in because not only does it keep that speed alive in you It also, because when you run faster, you're more efficient. It also makes you more efficient in form over time. Those are the building blocks of better form. And by the way, they're also the building blocks of being fit and fast. So you don't have to think about it to do those things. If you just do them consistently, it'll come.
1: Yep. Uh, we're on the same page on that <laughs> one. Uh, so Good. I'm, I'm almost curious what you, what you were going to clarify. Um, <laughs> if you, remember. well, I
0: guess I was just going to clarify what do you mean by focusing on form? Okay. And you know, cause you could argue that doing strides every week, building your volume, doing strength, doing all those supplemental elements is a focus on form, yeah. even if it's also accomplishing other things. But I took I took it to interpret it more literally
1: yeah and and it's probably because we know each other so well um so yeah uh we're on the same page i'm gonna go false there as well and it's and i mainly wanted to bring it up because i've there in some ways there's a rise in it um because just more and more technology is available and there's things that you can like um just narrow in on but you're often thinking when you think about perfect running form um that's like a perfect robot whose body would be Perfectly proportionate, and it interacts with a flat, even surface, um, and then you could come up with that's ideal, perfect form. And I've had some new athletes recently, not not even at Rogue, just uh, a buddy of mine that I've been training privately as well as, um, you know, in the past I've experienced it, where because there's a lot of information around like what's that ideal form, you can consume that information and then want to fixate on that, uh, but. Uh, I remember early when I was becoming a runner, um, watching Allison. Um, you know, when she would when she would run, she has that little hitch in her gait in the back yep, of it. Yep. And trying to change that up and put her into quote perfect running form uh, actually caused an injury. Um, but all of those little ligaments and everything that work together, the whole bodies come to a spot where it works together, and there's a synchronicity to the muscle contractions that it's like, no, it can take like a big 80, a a load of 80 miles a week. If you perform, if you run the way you are, learn to run. Yeah. Yeah. Learn to run and built to run in your imperfect body. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Are there cues that you can think about? Absolutely. I have a set of 10 drills that I basically, when people want, uh, you know, Advice on running form. I'll put them through a strides workout where it's like 10 strides thinking about one cue at a time. Allowing the brain to pull them in a direction that's, quote, a little bit better form. Um, but, But generally speaking, I think that there's a tendency to almost hyper fixate on it and over overthink the idea of like what would what would I look like if I was running perfectly I think with sprinters too this is going to come it's going to be far more important but for the distance runner it's like your body's built up and learn to run a certain way and you're better off sticking with that unless you're willing to actually hit pause and time out on all your development and go back to zero right and so if you're going to take on a new form you need to Build up all of that soft tissue. The entire body needs to work together and go back and be like, okay, I'm doing 10 miles a week for a couple weeks, then build up to 20 mile weeks. But no one's really willing to, um, I think, start over. Most people aren't. And so it actually becomes somewhat dangerous where someone's like in a marathon training program or a, just sort of a year round training lifestyle where the idea of 30 to 50 mile a week sounds like a very normal thing. And then they want to just change up their form completely and try to keep that same load. I see something else gets injured. It
0: doesn't work. Yeah. There's actually a study that Alex Hutchinson referenced in one of his sweat science articles that basically says when runners are given form cues to think about adjust this change that they're actually less efficient than when they just run Hmm. without a cue. And and that's because, one, because we think, we might think we're doing whatever we're thinking about and we probably aren't. Right. Two, because you also just don't know in reality how it might be playing out <laughs> when even if you're thinking about it a certain way. But the other p- thing is, like you referenced, you'd have to completely start over. I mean, for me as an example, I'm unfortunately saddled with ankle mobility issues, especially on my left ankle, because I had a massive sprain in high school playing basketball that wasn't appropriately treated. And so that ankle is just tight and it gives me problems. It's a source of problems. It's a part of what now makes my form what it is. And I have to do certain things constantly to make sure that it's mobilized as best as it can be. But I've also clearly developed some compensations through the years that are working for me because I've had to. My body has just figured it out. And so, yes, theoretically, if you went back to me as a three-year-old learning to walk and run at the at the, at the same time and then and then programmed everything then and then nothing happened and I was sort of perfect between now and then, or between then and now, then, you know, maybe that would work. Trying to get me to some perfect form or keep me at some perfect form. But now perfect doesn't exist for me. That ship sailed when I sprained my ankle in high school or probably well before that, but that ship has sailed. So now it's perfect for me in whatever that looks like. And I do think, and, you know, we have a partnership with Run Lab inside our space in Rogue, and I want to make sure that people understand I'm not disparaging what they do because they do running form analysis. Mm-hmm. And but what, it, but what they're doing is they're saying, okay, we're going to look at the video. We're going to see where your issues are. And then we're going to give you those exercises, routines, drills you need to be doing constantly to gradually make that better or allow your body to find a more efficient path. And so it's just a way of sort of shining light on exactly your issues and then finding the more specific sets of drills, strength, mobility work that you need to do to, you know, versus somebody else to, to be more efficient. And by the way, they'll admit that it's not a perfect process, that even through that process, you have to try some things, see if that helps, if it makes you feel better or maybe be less injury prone. And then. If it does great, keep doing. If it doesn't, then you got to course correct. So it's still a live and learn process for them, even you know, even though they're taking a more scientific approach to it. All right, that was number two for you. Let's go to number three for me. And um, I don't know where you're gonna land on this, hmm. <laughs> which which just makes it better. Marty, am I feel I feel like we're we're doing well here with these with these true falls. So number three. Process goals are better than outcome goals.
1: Absolutely true. <laughs> okay, T- tell me more. And I, it well, it's like maybe I'll just loop in one of mine because I have some extras. But so I'm gonna loop it in because I I I brought up one that we talked about um, when it was Yumi and Steve like a couple years ago. And one of the true falses was you're only as good as your last race. And I just had beef with that one. And I was like, I want to revisit it. And so this is similar. That's an outcome based like <laughs> statement. Right. And, you know, I am so biased towards process goals because I think that, you know, as humans, life is not linear. It's circular and it's dynamic. And so, um, it's always within context. So you've got to look at like, where you at? where you're at in a specific season of life and then hold your sound hold yourself accountable for putting in work given your limited bandwidth just a second ago when you're talking about form you're like I have to move forward with my imperfections as humans and as athletes and then within our process you know these training goals around process like you have to move forward with your imperfections um so i think the result is something that we can use as an indicator, um, to some degree. Cause there's even some things that you can analyze within context when it comes to results. Like at the end of the day, we all want specific results, but all of life teaches us to uh pick a goal and what's that age old statement? Like um, shoot, shoot for the moon and if you miss, you land among the stars. Like that statement's there because like in all aspects of life, um, you know, of course, we all want the result. Um, and so the goal, the, the results goal helps lead us in a certain direction, but I think that athletes should pride themselves in their process, in the work that they do, and then results become like a byproduct of that process. So when your process is sound and you're committed to it, um, and you're disciplined within it, um, then results will come, uh, but I think that our our heads should be placed within process um, far more than end result.
0: Ah, good. Interesting. I'm going to say false. I don't think process goals are better. I think they're equally important. And I think they both have to come together. So I'm not going to give one a weight over the other. And so for that reason, my statement is false there. And I do think, but I do think there are times when process goals become more important in certain windows. But at the end of the day, to get what you want, we want outcomes, right? I mean, who, who here listening is gonna go celebrate the fact that they did 10 consecutive 50 mile weeks leading up to a marathon where their goal was to break four hours, but they didn't break four hours right? At the end of the day, you're probably going to be disappointed <laughs> and you're going to say, I did those 50 mile weeks so I could get the four hour goal. I didn't get it. So I'm disappointed. I'm mad. I'm going to go back and look at my process and see if that needs tweaking and then I'm going to get it again. And then when I get that sub four, I'm going to fricking celebrate, right? We celebrate the outcomes. So at the end of the day, that's equally important. And I'll give you a comparison here that I think you'll appreciate as a Cowboys fan. <laughs> you know, part of my, and this may be too esoteric for some listeners, but I'll just give a little bit of context. Dallas Cowboys coach, Jason Garrett, is a very process goal oriented coach. All the time he's talking about it in press conferences, in front of his team, got to focus on the process guys. We got to focus on ourselves and doing what we can do to get better each and every week. Every time he answers a question, that's, that's where he goes. And while I think that is a good thing and that process is important, I also think that that over-reliance on process has actually held the Cowboys back to becoming what they could become, which is competing for a Super Bowl, because it has excluded that look at the outcome to say, okay, well... Yes, process is important. We have to focus on what we're doing. But at the same time, if I look over at the New England Patriots who have won however many, six Super Bowls in the last decade, you know, I have to think about what I need to do to beat those guys. So what does that mean? What do I need to do to be at the top? And then those two things can come together, and I think that tweaks your process a little bit. That might tweak your... Your outcome goals at different stages of the season a little bit. It's going to change your perspective in a way that I think actually
1: lifts you to that highest point. What do you think? I can't you, are you with fully, me? I am are and are I can't fully disagree, <laughs> but I'm actually thinking now of an athlete. So within the running space, um, I, I'm th- I, maybe I react the way I do and take the position I do because of what it, I think most people, how they respond psychologically and so I was talking to an athlete recently who added like a very lofty goal for an ultra run with unbelievable amounts of climbing. And, um, you know, I know, she, I know about that. She didn't. Yeah, you do. <laughs> she didn't, um, finish it and storms came. So this was even something outside of her control. Right. And I had asked how many miles she had run. And it turns out on that day, she had actually run more miles than ever. She had ever run in one single run in her lifetime, but she still calls it a loss because her brain is shifted around this like it's the result. It's binary ones and zeros. I either did it or I didn't do it. And do I respect that outlook? Absolutely. Because of what you just said, like when you take that outlook, then you can retweak. Um, you know, your process, et cetera. And so you can get closer to it and then you'll even celebrate it more when you do achieve it. But I still put that under process because I guess I'm a journey minded person and I always want to push people back to elements that they can actually control. And I'm like, if you're moving through life and you're getting better and you ran more miles on that day. You basically set a PR for yourself. You did something you've never done before in the history of your little human existence. And you can't call that some kind of win Then I'm like, (laughs) I don't know if that's the type of thinking I want to invite into people's lives. It's fair. But
0: at the same time, I do think that how you think about the outcome is independent of how you're prioritizing your goals because personally I believe I can and to me it's both and it's not either or it's yes process matters but yes outcome matters too and when I get to a result if I fail on the outcome but I've had success on the process elements I can still claim success in some way and I can still be happy about it and I can still move on from that with a maybe a bittersweet but decent feeling Because you put it all in perspective of both things versus just saying, well, it's okay. I ran further than ever, (laughs) right? I'm going to be happy. Woo. Thanks, James. Thanks for the pep talk. (laughs) So anyway, my point is that both matter and that you have to, you have to, as a practical matter, couch the process goals in the, in the context of the outcome goal. So just as an example, if somebody wants to break four hours for the marathon, as I referenced earlier, there's a lot of process stuff they need to do to get there, but they also have to remember that four hours is their goal. And so that means that they have to run 909 pace for their workouts at certain times in order to, to really ingrain that they have to create a race plan that's associated with that four hour time so that they're putting themselves in position to get there now, I think you're going to say, well, that's all just process at the end <laughs> of the day. But it's couched in the context of an outcome that
1: is real and relevant. Yep. Yeah, no, um, I I think I like a little better this time where we're going to leave it because I wanted to come back to that topic. Um, and I like that you said they're both important because obviously they both are. We even talked about it in our how to find the right coach, look at their track record, see the results they've produced. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to say results aren't important and they're not something that caused me to be overjoyed and uh, I celebrate and cheer. It's just, I don't know, when you said who's listening that's going to celebrate f- 10 straight 50-mile weeks, I'm like, me? <laughs> <laughs> I've got my annual mileage goal and my target race goal and I, th- I don't uh, know hey, if that's just And me. by the
0: way, you should celebrate those things. I'm just saying, when people think about what's going to be more exciting for them, And they're waiting, they're weighing, am I going to celebrate the week's run or am I going to celebrate hitting the time I wanted? I think most people are going to point to the time, but maybe that's just me. All right, you're number three, James, because then we got to get you out of here and we'll have to bring you back for round two of this.
1: All right, so I'm going to go kind of topical here because I've read some stuff on LinkedIn on this and I've made statements that are similar, but I want to call out some nuances. So great runners make great employees. Ooh, that is interesting
0: Because, you know, there are times when I've had people ask me, hey, do you know this guy? I'm looking at him for a job. And I will only know them in the running context. Yeah. Or this guy or girl, this man or woman. And so I've had to ask myself this question. (laughs) (laughs) And I think the answer is false in that there isn't necessarily a correlation there. I do think that runners tend to be disciplined, runners tend to be hard workers, runners tend to be a a breed of person that's easy to get along with, because especially if you're running in a community, you kind of have to be. And those, those characteristics can lead you to be a, a good employee, but at the same time, if You you might have all the positive characteristics in the world, but if you don't have the skills you need for a specific job, then it's not going to work. And so running skills don't necessarily translate to job skills. Now, I will say, though, that if I were going to wager on it, (laughs) if I were going to put money on on the line and you're going to give me, you know, 50-50 odds, then I would wager for the runner being a good employee. You know, if I were taking bets, I would bet on it. But if I have to draw a hard line, I'm going to say it's not necessarily true. So it has to be false.
1: Yeah, I'm going false as well. Um, And it's because I often like actually talking about how like marathon runners, etc. are, um, you know, there's a lot of carryover. Um, But I'm going false uh, because of the way I stated it. I had to actually think about how to say that so that I could take this angle. Um, But I think process oriented runners make great employees but results. Oh. no i'm kidding <laughs> okay whoa. no but uh, i was like whoa I, that was Here a twist I, I was just being snarky there but um where i'm going with that is that often when you think of the idea of a great runner you're going to think of their accomplishment so you are going to think about results you are going to think about like well that guy like consistently places in the top 10 in local races so therefore he's going to be a great runner or that woman Consistently places in the top 10, so she's going to be a great employee, etc. But I would say, like, the the nuance or the hair to split is that uh, disciplined runners, I think, do, uh, aside from the skills, like, you know, assuming that they're in the field, that they have a skill set in, then I do... Um, like value people that have like a not, not just an active lifestyle, but have that discipline where they can exercise um, like fortitude and like just pushing through walls and dealing with the pain and the um, or discomfort uh, and and choosing to come back and, and uh, perform um, or practice that discipline despite how they feel like those are a lot of like characteristics that I think the run and, and, uh, marathon training will teach you that I do believe carry over into the office. But, um, uh, if you leave the topic too lighthearted and leave it in a like single statement, like, Oh, great runners are great employees. Well then it's false because no, there are, there are people who, um, uh, can be that are incredibly talented that hang back on their laurels. Um, they kind of do the sport because they're good at it. And like, who doesn't like doing what they're good at? And then um, expect to be talented elsewhere or bring to the table something that um, maybe another employee brings that is more of like a just stick it out, tough it out, uh, find out how to like operate in a sport and suffer through, you know, long runs, etc. That more disciplined runner is someone that I would say that discipline carries over to their work life. But
0: you'd bet more on the disciplined runner. Exactly. Which is fair. I, do, I will say this, that when I get that question, I don't just punt on it. I usually will just say, I don't know them in that context, but this is what I know about them in this context. You know, if it's appropriate, if I know them well enough to actually give an opinion. And the other thing I will say is that I do think that in general as individuals, and I've had a lot of people tell me this, that they're better employees because of their running discipline or their running habits Mm -hmm. or their willingness to push themselves in running or their desire to achieve big goals in running has then translated into their career in ways that's been positive. And I do think that that's one of the cool things about our sport is that it does become this platform that takes you to new places in a lot of parts of your life. And I would encourage anybody who's listening, who's aren't already thinking about that, to think about that, think about the ways in which you go about your running training and how that could then translate and help you in your career. And if you're not already thinking that, then I think you'll find it makes it even more fulfilling, the journey. And it's something, it's interesting, something that for me is very palpable <laughs> because my career is. running and i also run so it's top of mind always about how the two things relate but i don't think it always is for people who have very different careers so that would be one thing i would encourage is this week think about it think about a nugget that you've learned in your running life or from this podcast and think about how it might translate to your career
1: yeah, I'm glad you said that because honestly, I just wanted to bring it up. Um, <laughs> I've read some cool like articles on like endurance athletes, like being great employees and they use the word endurance there. And so again, there's more of a parallel rather than just um, great, meaning a great performer. Yep. Um, so yeah, I'm glad you drove that home because I, I just wanted to talk about the topic of like, yeah, take what you've learned in this facet of life and apply it over there. So we have to go on this
0: episode because you got to go coach for some rogues, which mm-hmm. is awesome. But there's definitely we got to come back around and and finish this because we have a we have a longer list. And the next one, the fourth one I had, I think, is the most provocative of all. So we can't Yeah, we'll have to leave it as a cliffhanger. We'll get to it next time. But thanks again, James, for joining us. This has been episode 149 of the Running Rogue podcast, Running True and False with James Dodds. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time.